WTBN Pinellas Park. If it's been a while since you've worshipped at your local church, they invite you back. Attend services this weekend. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. We have something that presses us that the world doesn't have a clue about, and that is we long for God's continual fellowship. We long to experience the warmth of His joy. And the only way to experience His fellowship and His joy is to enjoy His forgiveness. And so in addition to asking God to sustain our physical lives, we are to make sure that we move on and ask Him to sustain our spiritual lives. And that comes by requesting that He forgive our sins. I can't remember who told me this, but he said it well when he said that not forgiving someone is a lot like trying to get rid of rats by drinking rat poison. That's a pretty strong statement, but Jesus made an even stronger statement. We'll be looking at it today as we continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible study led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today is part one of a three-part message on the Lord's Prayer, the fifth of six in Pastor Steve's series on that wonderful lesson that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6. Pastor Steve has a lot of ground to cover today, so let's settle down for class and be ready, if possible, to follow along in your Bible and maybe even take some notes. Here is Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And instead of looking at just one verse this morning, we're actually going to look at three verses because Jesus gave the fifth petition found in the Lord's Prayer in verse 12, and then he clarified it in verses 14 and 15. So let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 12. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. This morning, we come in our study of the gospel of Matthew to the fifth petition that Jesus gave in the Lord's Prayer. And though all the petitions in this model prayer are convicting, they convict us of our sin because they, they reveal our deficiencies in the way we pray, I think that this petition is the most convicting one of all because it addresses an issue that every believer struggles with, and that's forgiving those who have sinned against us. We all struggle with this. Every believer in Christ can relate to the inner battles that go on in an unforgiving heart, a heart that wrestles with anger, a heart that wrestles with resentment and, and even, even bitterness towards those who have deeply hurt us. And we look at that in our lives and those attitudes of anger, resentment, and bitterness, and we hate it. We hate it because we understand that we've been forgiven and that God wants us to forgive others. And yet we, we really, really have issues that cause us to struggle. So we hate our sin, and yet we hold on to our sin, and it's very convicting. But it's not only conviction of sin that accompanies this fifth petition. This petition actually carries with it a certain element of danger to our spiritual lives. If we pray for forgiveness, as Jesus tells us to, and yet are unwilling 
to forgive others, we put ourselves in a very dangerous situation spiritually. This is why St. Augustine called this petition the terrible petition. He said it was terrible because he correctly understood that if we pray this prayer with an unforgiving heart, then we are actually asking God to not forgive us. Spurgeon saw the same thing. He also recognized the same inherent danger found in this prayer. And so speaking of the fifth petition, Spurgeon said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. And in more recent years, C.S. Lewis wrote these words about the Lord's Prayer and this petition for forgiveness. He wrote, no part of his teaching is clearer. There are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins, providing provided they are not too frightful or provided they are there are extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, he wrote, we shall be forgiven none of our own, end of quote. And so this morning, we approach this fifth petition with a, a bit of caution, a bit of uneasiness, because we understand that a failure to obey God and the truths contained here will lead to serious consequences for our own spiritual lives. Therefore, we have to be extra careful in analyzing our Lord's words. We don't want to misunderstand what he said. And there are a lot of of, uh, areas in which we could misunderstand. We want to know precisely what Jesus taught about forgiveness and what he did not teach about forgiveness. And so to begin with, whenever there's careful analysis, it always starts with careful observation. You want to observe, is there anything different about this petition? Uh, anything unique about it? And and a careful observation reveals that there are two things found in in this petition that have not been found in any others up to this point. Number one, it has a different beginning than the first four prayer requests. It begins with the word and, A and D. And also, not only does it have a, a unique beginning, it has a unique ending. No other petition is clarified like this. Jesus ends this petition by giving us an amplification, an explanation of what he meant in verses 14 and 15. So this is unique. Now, to begin with, why does Jesus start this fifth petition with the word and? Is this really that significant? Well, many times the word and is not significant, not terribly significant, but in, in this uh, instance, it is very significant. And I'll tell you why. Let's back up and remember this. You want to keep in mind that the, that the Lord's Prayer consists of two parts. It's divided into two sections. Section number one deals with God's interest, his name, his kingdom, his will be done. The second part of the Lord's Prayer deals with man's interests, uh, our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, and the temptation or the protection from temptations that, that we face. Now, the petition for forgiveness is found in the section that addresses man's interests. That's where we are now. And that is significant because, watch this, having just told us to pray for our daily bread, which means the, the necessities of life, the physical necessities of, of life, Jesus immediately moves on to the request to ask for forgiveness. But he doesn't just move on, he connects these two. He connects these two petitions with the word and. Why? Because, and this is why this is so important, the Lord is making a very strong statement to the effect that when we pray, we are not to stop with our physical needs. It's important to pray for our physical needs, but we also move on and we pray for our spiritual needs. Pray for your daily bread and don't forget 
to pray for your soul's needs. You see, the way the world prays, if they pray at all, would be only over their material and, and physical needs. That's where they would stop. Their health concerns, their finances, uh, the issues that they face concerning food and shelter and things of that nature. But we're to be different. And yet to our shame, so much of what we pray for is really limited to our bodies and material well-being. In fact, it's been my observation that most of the prayer requests that come into our office that's put down on a prayer sheet which you can you can get in the lobby, um, most of those prayer requests have to do with health and physical matters. Now, it's not wrong to pray for those things, certainly because we saw that last week, pray for our daily bread, but it is wrong to only pray for those things, to be consumed with that as if nothing else really, really matters. In telling us to pray for God's forgiveness for our sins, Jesus is teaching us that as children of God, we have a concern that the world doesn't have. We have something that presses us that the world doesn't have a clue about, and that is we long for God's continual fellowship. We long to experience the warmth of his joy. And the only way to experience his fellowship and his joy is to enjoy his forgiveness. And so in addition to asking God to sustain our physical lives, we are to make sure that we move on and ask him to sustain our spiritual lives. And that comes by requesting that he forgive our sins. In other words, by using the word and to connect the petition for daily bread and the petition for forgiveness, the Lord is saying that when we pray, we are not only to pray for our body's needs, but our soul's need as well. And the greatest need of our soul is for forgiveness. I like the way Andrew Murray, a Bible teacher of another generation, put it. He said, as bread is the first need of the body, so forgiveness is for the soul. See, every true child of God longs for that. That's his goal, to be in fellowship with God. And, and he can't stand it when the warmth of that fellowship is broken. He, he hates it. He can't stand to be out of fellowship with the Lord. And so Jesus teaches us that the way to maintain our communion so that we don't have to be out of fellowship with him is by asking the Father to forgive our sins as we have forgiven the sins of others. And because this is such a critical issue, Jesus makes sure that he's not misunderstood, he's not misunderstood by adding a word of clarification and amplification about this kind of forgiveness. He adds that in verses 14 and 15. Now, as I've already said, this is the only petition found in the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus felt the need to clarify. And what that indicates is that this is extremely important and we need to be extremely careful so that we don't misunderstand forgiveness. Because when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, there are a number of issues relating to this subject that could be easily misunderstood. For example, why does a child of God have to ask God to forgive him or her for any of their, their sins? Didn't we receive the full, complete forgiveness of our sins the moment we trusted Christ, past, present, and future? Why then would there be any sins that we need to ask him to forgive us about now? That's a legitimate question. Secondly, why is God's forgiveness tied to our forgiving others? Isn't our forgiveness solely based on the atonement of Jesus Christ? Why, why then did Jesus say in verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you? What does that have to do with it? Why is, it, why is my forgiveness tied to me forgiving someone else. And another question is, why did Jesus say in verse 15 that if we refuse to forgive others, he said, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. 
Does this mean if we don't have his forgiveness that we lose our salvation? Do we lose our salvation if we harbor ill feelings towards others? See, these are all, all very significant questions that need to be answered by our study today. And they, and they will be. And to get those, those questions answered, we need to unfold the meaning of these, of these verses by looking at two key issues about forgiveness that Jesus specifically addressed in this fifth petition. There are two key issues here that he addressed, and that's what we're going to do. So let's begin by looking at the first key issue that Jesus addressed about forgiveness. It was this, God does forgive our sins. God forgives our sins. Verse 12 begins this way, and forgive us our debts. Now let's stop there. The Lord begins this petition by telling us that when we pray, we are specifically to ask God to forgive our sins. So in addition to asking him to hallow his name, in addition to asking him to exercise his kingship and his his will in the lives of people, in addition to asking him to provide for our daily our daily needs, we are also to ask him when we pray to forgive our sins. But instead of calling our sins by a more common term that's found in the Bible, such as iniquity or transgression or lawlessness or disobedience, note this, the Lord refers to our sins as debts, as debts. Now, when we hear the term debt, we immediately think of financial debt, but that's not what he's referring to here. And it's obvious that it's not what he's referring to here, because in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, he records Jesus saying, and forgive us our sins. So the Lord was using debt and and sins interchangeably. Why then is debt mentioned here? Probably because Matthew's gospel, if you'll recall, was written uh, to the Jewish person. It's a gospel directed towards Jewish people. That's why there's so much about messianic prophecy here, so much from the Old Testament, so many things that a Jewish person would relate to. And, And debt owed to God would be something that they would understand. See, to a Jewish person, sin was like a debt. It was a debt. It was a moral failure that resulted in being indebted to God. And unless payment for that sin was paid through through punishment, there was a debt to be paid and owed. See, to a Jewish person in Christ's day, the primary purpose and responsibility in life was to obey God. By virtue of who God is, we all owe him our worship, our obedience, our service, our love. And whenever we fail in these areas by sinning against him, we have failed really to give God what we owe him, what's rightfully his, what should be coming to him. And as a result, we incur debts that can only be paid by punishment. And that's why language like that is used here. So Jesus tells us that since we are debtors to God, we need to ask him to forgive us by canceling those debts. That's what forgiveness means, to cancel those debts. But a major question that many who have studied the Lord's Prayer uh, wonder and ask at this point is, why does a believer in Jesus Christ have to ask God to forgive him for any sin? Aren't all believers already forgiven? That's a great question. That's a significant question. We really can't go any further in our study unless we answer this question. And to begin to answer this question, we need to understand that whenever the Bible speaks about forgiveness, you have to ask yourself, what type of forgiveness is the Bible talking about? Because scripture teaches two types of forgiveness. I'd I'd mark this down if I were you. I'd take notes on this. This is very important. First of all, there is judicial 
or legal forgiveness. Now, theologians come up with this term. The concept is in the Bible, so you may not see that term called judicial or legal forgiveness, but that's what that's what's there. That's the forgiveness of a judge to a criminal. Judicial or legal forgiveness. The second type of forgiveness is parental or fellowship forgiveness. That's the forgiveness of a father to a child. Now, by judicial or legal forgiveness, the Bible means that God, as the eternal judge, has declared all those who trust Christ for salvation as completely pardoned, as completely forgiven of all of their sin debts. Though all of us have sinned and we've rebelled against God by our attitudes and our actions and we deserve eternal punishment, we deserve what the Bible calls hell forever and ever, yet Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead, by his mercy and by his grace alone, paid all of our debts by being punished in our place on the cross. It was as if the judge himself, in fact, it's not as if, it is. The judge himself took off his robe, came down from his bench, came to earth, and paid our debt himself. That's what Christ did on the cross. See, although... The Bible teaches that God's nature is love. He's also perfectly holy, and he's perfectly righteous, and he's perfectly just, and his justice demands payment for sins committed. Therefore, God cannot arbitrarily just choose to forgive somebody without there being uh, payment for sins. He can't just arbitrarily just say, "I, I think I'll forgive because I feel like forgiving. Those debts must be paid for. And unless there has been acceptable punishment for those sin debts, there will be no forgiveness. Now, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when Jesus died, he paid all, not just some, but all of those moral debts owed by every believer who would ever trust him for salvation. And that's why the Bible very clearly and very emphatically declares that the moment we trust Christ for our salvation, we trust him alone, not him in baptism, not him in our good works, not him in anything just him and him alone. God is the perfect judge, completely forgives us, wipes all of our debts clean, cancels all of our debts. We are judicially and we are legally forgiven of all of our sins. Whether you and I feel like that's happened or not, that's what the Bible teaches. God's justice was completely satisfied in the death of his son. Completely satisfied. Therefore, he can forgive us without violating his perfect standard of justice. That's why we say that at the cross, both mercy and justice kissed. They kissed. Because there there was no violation of God's mercy and no violation of his justice. That's the glory of the message of salvation. All of our sins have been paid for by Christ. God holds no debt against us. He is totally satisfied with his son's payment. Therefore, by his grace, you and I, you're a believer, we are the recipients of God's complete forgiveness. And the Bible is quite clear about this. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we read this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now, how rich is his grace? Rich enough to take care of all of our sins forever and ever. I love Colossians chapter 2, verse, beginning of verse 13. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Watch this. Having forgiven us all 
of our transgressions. Here Paul says not just your transgressions, but all of our transgressions. And note this in verse 14, a precious verse. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he was ta- and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, what does that mean? When criminals would be crucified in the days of the Roman Empire, they would put above the cross, they would put uh, a, a wood board, and they would write the crime that this person had committed and what they were paying for. Paul is teaching that when Jesus Christ died, it was if God put on that plaque above him all of our sins, the sins of all who would ever believe in him. And in Christ dying, it was all canceled because it was paid for. It's canceled. All of those sins. First John 2.12 says the same thing. He's forgiven you all of your sins. That's why Romans 8.1 says that those in Christ Jesus will never be condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I love Jeremiah 31, 34, which speaking of the new covenant, which we've experienced in terms of being forgiven, Israel will someday experience even in, even in a greater way in the fullness of the kingdom, and we'll be part of that. But Jeremiah 31, 34, speaking of that, that kingdom time says this, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. In other words, no, no more witnessing will go on for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Watch this. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God says he will remember it no more. It's not the same thing as God forgets our sins. The Lord doesn't have amnesia. It does mean that he will no longer hold it against us. He doesn't consciously dwell on our sin in the sense that he holds it against us. God God knows everything. You can't say he forgets anything. That's just language. That's just language. And that's why scripture says, Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, which is infinity, by the way. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sins from us. So the Lord will never hold any of our sins against us in the sense that he will require payment for them because they've already been paid for. Already, It would be like double jeopardy, which means that a believer can never lose their salvation. Because there's never a time where he will be unforgiven by God. I don't even know if that's a word, unforgiven. But if it's not, I just made it up. There'll never be unforgiveness. We are forgiven completely. And some people struggle with this. And let me just show you this. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, I think, is the clearest statement in all of the Bible concerning the, the, our salvation being forever. If you are forgiven, how could you ever be unforgiven? You're forgiven of all sin. Past, present, and future. When Christ died, he was dying for sins you had never committed yet. All of your sins were in the future. They're all taken care of. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, beginning of verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now note that they follow him. His sheep do follow him. Perhaps not perfectly, but we follow him. He said, and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That that thought here means they'll never, ever perish. They'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, did you get that? You can't snatch yourself out of his hand. You wouldn't want to. And Satan can't do that. No one can do that. And if that's not enough, he said in verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. 
and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So we don't have just eternal security, folks. We have double eternal security. We're in Christ's hands, and we're in the Father's hands. There is a second kind of forgiveness that God offers, but we have to start putting away our Bibles and notepads because we're out of time for today. But there is more to come, so please join us next time. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. God has been using Pastor Steve's gift of teaching at Lakeside for over 25 years, and now that ministry has grown to include Verse by Verse Ministries and this daily Bible class of the year. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. To hear Pastor Steve's entire message on this part of the Lord's Prayer, it is available on CD or audio cassette. You can call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714.